Good Sunday morning. Rashini here along with Dr. David Hilden. And this is always a fun Sunday. What a great way to kick off November and Daylight Savings Time with the open phone show, the open line show where anything goes, right, Dr. Hilden? Anything goes. Well, I don't know about anything, Rashini. <laughs> well, anything things that go. you can Most handle. Things go. I'm here to... You got it. You got it. And, and uh, every question's a good one. That's like they always used to tell you when you were in grade school. It's also it's also the same one with your doctor. Anything's a good question. It could be about COVID, whatever is on your mind. <laughs> we're happy to talk about all topics this morning. Yeah, I like to say when I'm in client sessions, there are no dumb questions. So ask me now in the safety of this space. And that's what this is every Sunday morning on Healthy Matters. It's Dr. David Hilden is a safe place for you to ask your health and wellness questions. He will get as much of the information to you as he can. And if he doesn't have the answers, what's so great is he has this whole network of medical types all across the Hennepin Healthcare system, which as I understand, Dr. Hilden, is a lot of clinics. It's not just a big building in downtown Minneapolis. Right, right. You're, you're absolutely right, Bashini. It is, um, you know, and I'm here right now. I'm at the hospital. As soon as I am done with the show, I'm going to walk into some patient rooms and start seeing some patients. We have a hospital in downtown Minneapolis, but we also have clinics all over the place, out in Golden Valley and in Richfield, out in Brooklyn Park, our big one in Whitty. Eric St. Anthony, and, and then, of course, our big downtown clinics at North Loop and, and uh, right here, just about a block from U.S. Bank Stadium. It's state-of-the-art facilities, but like I always do like to say to people, it, you know, the facilities are one thing. Um, what you really want is a team of people who, who can call upon each other, who work with you to get to your health, and, and um, that's kind of what I feel like we have going on here because uh, I don't know everything. And none of my colleagues know everything. And one of the one of the things we've learned is that the longer you do medicine, the more you realize that you don't know everything. There's, I, you learn what you don't know. And so to be at a big place, it's an academic teaching facility. We're all on the faculty of the medical school. Yeah, which is really wonderful because you are so open also to collaborating, which I think is great. Now, last week, uh, I want to remind people of the number. I always say on Healthy Matters, if you call us, your question takes precedence. We will get to all of the phone calls and we'll get to as many texts as possible. So call, text, number is the same, 651-989-9226. We're taking your calls and texts until just about 8 this morning. So get them in. But last week you had two experts in the area of mammography, and I think it's terrific that you had a bunch of patients screened uh, at your mammography center this past, uh, like since we spoke with them, which is fabulous. That means more men and women who are in better health because they got screened. Absolutely, Rashini. Um, I think it was something like 40 people came in just from listening to the show. That's 40 people who are going to get their uh, mammograms done who just maybe getting a little prompting from us uh, got that done. So we had Dr. Gretchen Butler last week who is a radiologist. She is the expert in reading your mammograms and knows exactly what she's looking for. And then Leah Hahn, who is the manager of, of, our, of our breast care center. Um, we had a great conversation and then we, they did a screening event and literally people started, they were streaming in the door to get their their mammograms and and I think what people find now I haven't had one done but what people find is that it wasn't as bad as they thought uh, at least that's what all of my uh, mostly female friends and colleagues tell me they go oh come on women can handle this we do stuff all the time no biggie <laughs> so a lot of people did it done or, or got it done and um, the, the good thing about breast cancer is if you catch it early it's treatable 
you know, and 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 if you catch it late, it's a it's a worse thing. So get your mammogram. If you missed the show last week, um, we talked about how easy it is to get a mammogram, and I encourage all women. Um, if you're age 40, you should be thinking about it. If you're if you have a family member who had breast cancer, you should be thinking about it even more strongly about getting your mammogram. You know, it's kind of like I'm a teeth freak, and it's kind of like every I look forward to those twice-a-year appointments. Sometimes I even add in a third cleaning. I know. I'm kind of freaky on that uh, You do point. that? I, I love it. I love getting my teeth oh, cleaned. Oh, Rashidi. I and always it, call the dentist the, like, the horror chambers, and all my dentist friends are like, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, don't say that is right. Give them some medical courtesy. But this is kind of that same thing. Put it on the calendar each year, get it done. And we also learned from Dr. Gretchen Butler last week that about 1% of people who get breast cancer are men. So it is still a women's disease, but men could could, could get it. You know, it's you're not absolutely, immune. Absolutely. You're not totally immune. Let's sneak in a call before we have to go to break. You're already getting calls. Ellen is on the line from Outing, Minnesota. Hi there, Ellen. Hi. I What's have your question? A quest, I have a question about, uh, I don't know if you call it quarantining or self-isolating, but um, we have kids coming from another state for deer camp. And I'm clearing out of here as usual and going to a cabin at a resort along the North Shore with a girlfriend. My question is, how do I not take any chances for my girlfriend during the few days of overlap here? We have all of the parties involved been exceedingly careful. In fact, um, one of the kids is getting a test before he comes and have no reason to believe any of us have been exposed or have a problem. But there will be a period of time where one of the kids and I overlap in the house for a few days. My wondering is what should I do to make sure I don't take it to my girlfriend if, in fact, it even exists? Yeah, those, you're doing all the right kinds of thinking, and I wish there were just like a simple, clear answer. But um, it, just by definition, it's a slightly higher risk for your girlfriend. But I'm going to go with slightly on this one. This is not like going into a big party and exposing a whole bunch of people. You are doing it just a small number of people. And when there's a small number of people, cautions. Uh, so when you're doing your overlapping with the guys who are coming for the deer camp, I would just do your go be extra doubly careful around them. Keep your distance. It's not even weird to wear your mask in your house if you're um, in a same room, uh, you know, very close to each other. And just do your best to keep your distance there. Certainly, if anyone has a symptom, stay far away from them. Um, but then, but then, when you go to the North Shore, you are in probably a to keep some distance. So you're probably going to be staying in some cabin or condo or townhouse or something like that and sit on the far sides of the room from each other. Uh, you know, don't get close, close, close to one another. Uh, stay six feet apart. And I think if you did that, even without a mask, if you're far apart, uh, you'd be okay. You'd be okay. Now, it's not perfect. It's not zero risk. 
But if you minimize the contact with the out-of-staters at your house, and then you at least take sensible precautions. You know, we have to take sensible precautions, but we can't live in a total isolation bubbles. We can't right. I mean, we don't want to completely can't. cut ourselves off from society. Exactly. So I would do those things, and then I would uh, enjoy yourself. Okay, so we already have more than a dozen texts. We have some callers waiting. We do have to go to break. A reminder on Healthy Matters, our new rules since I joined Dr. Hilden in October is callers will get preference. So if you have a pressing question, there's only so much time for Dr. Hilden, and we want to get all of them in, but callers will get preference. So when we come back, 651-989-9226, we'll go to the phone lines, then we'll go to the text lines from there. Rashini Rajkumar back with you, along with your host of Healthy Matters, Dr. David Hilden. It is our Open Lines Sunday. All questions go, or as Dr. Hilden likes to say, most questions go. You can ask any of your wealth and your wellness and health questions, medical questions of Dr. Hilden, 651-989-9226. We'll first go to Judy from Golden Valley. Hi, Judy. Hello. I have a silly question. I've wondered this for years. It is not me. But when they have hot dog eating contests and your body consumes lots of hot dogs and buns in a short amount of time, how does your digestive system handle that? Judy, that might be my favorite question of the year. I love that question. Because <laughs> um, I have actually watched some of those massive eating contests and I have a similar thought. I thought, that, that, that can't be healthy. Um, it, it does raise some questions, doesn't it? But uh, kind of the medical bit of it is this, is that your stomach is kind of a flat little like bag, like a whoopee cushion sort of. I, you know, that's maybe a bad analogy, but it's sort of a flat little thing, but it can really, really stretch. It can stretch a lot. And so those folks are doing their – it is just your stomach's purpose is to break up food into basically a liquid form. It doesn't do very much digestion at all. The whole stomach's point is to take the solid foods that hopefully you chewed a little bit and break it into very, very small pieces into kind of a slurry uh, of uh, a thickened, um, liquidy, solid stuff that then goes into your small intestines where the real act of digestion happens. So some people's stomachs just must stretch, 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 and their digestive juices just break down that food and they, it moves through their stomach more quickly than the rest of us. I do have to say, I don't recommend it. <laughs> uh, maybe if you're going to win a zillion dollars in an eating contest, maybe, but it's not a good way. It's not what you're, you're, you're taxing your body a great deal on that one. Great question. All right. Dr. Hilden, we have more calls and tons of texts. Really quickly on this text, then we'll go back to the phone line. If a patient is not on thyroid medication, does that medication, is put on thyroid medication, does that medication have to be taken for the remainder of their life? Are there ways to avoid needing it? It, it depends on what you're on it for. The vast majority of people, the answer to that question is yes. It is very, very common to have a thyroiditis or other causes of where your thyroid is underactive. Think of your thyroid as the gas pedal of your body and, and it, or the gas in the brake. And when it's underactive, it's like someone stepping on the brake the whole time. The thyroid replacement therapies are very, very, very effective. They are, they're, they're, it, they just work. Um, so it, if you do have to take it forever, I wouldn't worry about it. But most people, yes, indeed, you do have to take it forever. Now, there might be some temporary cause of your thyroid problems. I won't get into those. But most people, yes, you do have to take it um, indefinitely. All right. Cindy is on the line from Northeast Golden Valley. Hi, Cindy. 
Hi, I have a question. My husband is at HCMC currently right now. He's in intermediate care. Um, he is surrounded by COVID patients. And unfortunately, I'm his wife, and I'm the only one, you know, that I don't have family to be with him, to come see him, to take my place or whatever. How much at risk am I at, and what should I be doing more than probably what I'm doing when I'm visiting him, being with him all day long? Um, he just needs, you know, he needs me to be there. He has Alzheimer's and, and really serious yeah. things going on with him. Well, Cindy, first, first of all, I'm sorry your husband's not well, and that has got to be so hard. Um, one of the hardest things of COVID, if I can be honest with everybody, whether it's at my hospital or others, is the whole idea of what you've just sort of described in a sentence or two. Visiting is difficult. The being around others who are ill is difficult. COVID is on your mind because in, and at this point, nearly every hospital in Minnesota now has COVID. It's not like it's just isolated to like it used to be. So as for the visiting, you're doing the right things. Um, and just keep coming and being with him. Your risk to him or yourself is very, very low. The other thing you should know about COVID in the hospitals, and I'm here, I'm at that hospital right now um, with your husband. Um, and healthcare workers are getting COVID a lot. They're not getting it from the patients, though. That is quite, quite clear. The, the masking and the, and the protecting of healthcare workers is so effective that we're getting very, very, very few people are getting it from patients. And patients are not getting it from other patients um, who are down the hall. So you can rest assured about that. Healthcare workers are getting it at home and in other places and in the break rooms and from each other. Um, and so, but your 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 concerns are legitimate, Cindy. I wouldn't minimize them for two seconds. Um, uh, just you do your part. You wash your hands. You don't come in if you're healthy. You wear your mask and you be with your husband and advocate for yourself. If there is anything that is of concerning to you, you make sure you talk to your nurse, your doctor, or the patient office to make sure that you are feeling that your concerns are met because after all, it's your concerns and the health and safety of your husband that are paramount importance. Dr. Hilden, we have about 45 seconds before we have to take a break. Let's get this quick text question in, then we'll get back to the phone lines. When someone tests positive for COVID but shows no symptoms, does it just go away on its own? Do they need to do anything? Uh, yes. Uh, um, it, it, no, yes, it goes away on its own. No, you don't have to do anything. Um, if you have a positive test and you have no symptoms, you are one of the tens of thousands, hundreds, millions of people who are the asymptomatic carriers. Your body is taking care of it. Your immune system somehow is calibrated and it figured it out. You've got it in your nose, you've got it in your back of your throat, and your body took care of it and it's going to go away. Um, uh, it doesn't mean you're not going to get symptoms, but you probably won't. And so you don't have to, you don't, you don't even have to get tested. We don't test people within, um, we don't retest them. If you've got a one positive test, Isolate yourself for 14 days, and after that, if you didn't get symptoms, you're kind of in the clear. All right. Well, that maybe that's some positive on this topic that uh, Dr. Hilton is, is giving us. Yeah. You know, most people, most people, despite all the doom and gloom, and frankly, we're in the worst week of the pandemic, bar none. This is it, the worst week. But most people are going to get better. That's all right. More. 
more COVID questions on the text line that we'll get to. More calls that are waiting. Thank you, callers. 651-989-9226. We have to take a break. And then more Healthy Matters with Dr. David Hilden and Rashini when we return. We are back on Healthy Matters. Rashini Rajkumar and your host, Dr. David Hilden. Healthy Matters, of course, brought to you by Hennepin Healthcare. It's our open line show. All questions uh, are welcome and most can be answered by Dr. Hilden. 651-999-9226 is our phone and text line. Kathy has been holding from Minneapolis. Good morning, Kathy. Uh, good morning. And uh, first of all, Rashini, I really enjoy you being on this show. Oh, thank you, Kathy. Thanks for calling. And Dr. Hilden is just a joy to share the airwaves with. I'm sure he is. Um, my question is, um, I'm a type 2 diabetic for about five years, and I've kept my blood sugar pretty much in the parameters. And when I went in for my uh, bi-yearly checkup with my endocrinologist, my A1C was 5.8, which I thought was good, and but she told me that that was too low for a diabetic. So I'm wondering, what should my A1C be? Super good question, Kathy. It is normal. 5.8% is normal. Um, and I, so for, if you're not a, di- if you don't have diabetes, if the listeners who do not have diabetes, if you get your A1C, which is short for glycosylated hemoglobin A1C, 5.8% is stone cold normal. And that's what most people are. Probably what, and, and I should say for people with diabetes, lower is better, but probably what your, your endocrinologist is referring to is that for people with diabetes, it is possible to drive it too low, that there is a danger of too low of blood sugars, just like there's a danger of too high blood sugars. The difference is that when blood sugars run too high, it's generally, with some exceptions, it's generally a long-term problem. A lifetime of high blood sugars is going to lead to more complications than I can even say. But low blood sugars aren't a chronic problem. Low blood sugars are life-threatening. If you have hypoglycemia or very, very, very low blood sugars, even for an hour or two, that's dangerous. So I think your endocrinologist is probably just erring on the side of not letting it get too low. In other words, your control might be a little too aggressive. You can maybe loosen it up a little bit. You don't have to, you know, do so such a good job, <laughs> for lack of a better word. That's what I'm speculating. For the rest of everybody who doesn't have diabetes, 5.8% is normal. But I think I think your your endocrinologist is just trying to walk a fine line between too high and too low, and um, and and I don't think it's anything more than that. Congratulations have, on your great glycemic control, though. I do have to say that, Kathy. You're rocking it. <laughs> we have uh, – th- I love it. I love that affirmation. Uh, we have a lot of COVID questions coming in, so I want to kind of get some of those in on and off. But we also have some really great non-COVID questions. Here's one. I've had insomnia for years. Is it best to get up after I sleep for a couple of hours then try again to sleep after an hour or so of being up? Uh, in general, yes. What the experts on insomnia say is try to have a pattern. There's, uh, and um, if you're lying in bed, if you're the kind that can fall asleep right away, but you wake up in the middle of the night, that's called you have insomnia on your sleep maintenance. 
as opposed to the people who just can't fall asleep in the first place. It is not a good idea to lie in bed and stare at the ceiling and get anxious and look at your digital clock on the nightstand. So if you've been lying there for 20 or 30 minutes, yes, get up um, have uh, and get out of the bed. Uh, do not get on screens. That's one of the things we like to say. Don't go watch TV. Don't get on the Internet. Read a book. Pour yourself a cup of, uh, of tea. Get up. Walk around. Do something else, even if it's the middle of the night. Now, what I w- would suggest, if this is a problem for you, there are medications for that, but I tend to shy away from them a little bit. I would encourage you to see a sleep specialist. There are non-drug ways to treat insomnia that are effective. The big one is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI. Strongly encourage you to look for a CBTI practitioner, and um, uh, it's quite effective um, for for treating your insomnia long-term. All right, the phone lines are ringing off the hook. Nancy is on the line from Eden Prairie. Good morning, Nancy. Hello? Are you with us, Nancy? Yep, go ahead. You just have to turn your radio down and go ahead with your question for Dr. Hilden. Oh, okay. Dr. Hilden, I've been researching indoor air quality to help prevent COVID. And uh, and I decided to install UV filters into the furnace and have a good quality air filter. And the HVAC guy said that um, if we ran the fan and we had a couple people over, that that should prevent COVID from any if somebody did have COVID from spreading. My my first reaction is that indoor air quality matters a whole bunch, and 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 with COVID. Um, circulation matters. So if the, if there, if it's possible, having a moving air is better without a doubt. That's opening windows even is better. Um, that's what we're telling like schools and like open your windows. That's all better. The larger the space, the more the air movement, the better. Um, one interesting um, illustration of that is airplanes. Shockingly, the indoor air in airplanes is terrific. The airflow is from the ceiling of the cabin to the floor. So it moves, the, 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 the air moves downward, not front to back. And it is filtered with filters that are terrific. So the concept is true. I do take issue with what your HVAC guy said, though. It does not prevent COVID. Anyone who tells you it prevents COVID is not accurate. Um, all it does is reduces your chances. But I can't tell you that simply putting a filter in your furnace is going to prevent COVID. That would just be offering unrealistic um, advice. Maybe even it malpractice, right? Your risk. Yeah, a little bit. It might reduce your risk. And so I'm not going to discourage it. But if you're going to drop like a lot, a lot of money in the, cause, and then feel safe and then have a whole bunch of people over, uh-uh, you can still get COVID. It, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but it might not prevent it. Let's, I just want to be kind of clear about that. All right, we have several callers waiting. I will, I promise I'm going to get to you, but I need to celebrate this texter and ask, uh, I believe it's a guy, but I'm not sure, his question. Wondering the best way to make my liver healthier, have been sober for 98 days, plan on staying that way, have lost 32 pounds and feel great, just want to make sure I have a healthy liver. P.S. Drank heavy for 35 years, still in treatment aftercare. Solid work. Whoever this is, well done. Well done. Well done. The liver is an amazing organ. First of all, you only have one of them. So treating it right is a good idea. Um, so I would tell this person, um, you should celebrate each and every day of not drinking. 
And there's an interesting fact about the liver. You could practically put a liver out on a piece of rock and it would grow back. It is very, very, very good at regenerating itself as long as it's not too late. So a cirrhotic liver is hard like a rock. It's too late for that liver. But the normal liver is a beefy piece of, you know, uh, meat. You know, if you've ever been to a butcher shop, you know that. It's a soft thing and because it filters so much fluid. So if you have, if you, your liver can recover. Every day you don't drink alcohol is recovering your liver. Stay away from other things that are hard on your liver. You know, um, too much Tylenol is very hard on your liver, for instance. That's just one example. Um, but if you are not drinking for 90 days, that is reversing the effects of your 35 years of drinking. And so you are to be congratulated and continue to do that. It's not too late. Continue to abstain from alcohol. Alcohol is a direct toxin to your liver. You know, Dr. Hilden, that reminds me, maybe we should have a liver special one day because there's so many ways we mess up our liver. It's such an important organ and it really gets overlooked. So thanks to that person for the question. Marguerite is on the line from Granite Falls. Hi, Marguerite. Yes. Hello, Dr. Hilden. I love your program. And um, I want to visit a specialist and I wondered if it was okay to make an appointment yourself or is um, the way to have your doctor referred um, and... According to Medicare and cost-wise, would that be the best way to go or to do it yourself? Well, thanks for your kind words, Marguerite, and thanks for listening to the show. Um, often, whether or not you need a specialist, there's two things to consider. One, are you just wasting your time? And two, who's going to pay for it? The first question, are you wasting your time? Um, if you're not sure where to go because you have some weird symptom. I would go to your primary care physician or other practitioner and ask that person and have a conversation because how would the public know? Do I go to a rheumatologist, a liver specialist, or a, or a lung person? You just don't know who to go to. So I would go to that person first. If you're crystal clear what your problem is, I have an intestinal disorder, for instance, then you would go to a gastroenterologist and you could do it yourself. So that's my first point. Find out who you need to go to by engaging with your primary physician first. The second one is payers. I can't control that. But many places, many insurance companies and the like require a referral. Medicare is pretty good about that. So I think you'll be fine with Medicare. If you know you need to see a certain specialist, you're probably okay making the appointment yourself. I just don't want you to waste your time going from specialist to specialist to specialist if none of them are the right person. So I would encourage you to first check in with your primary care doctor. Okay, Dr. Hilden, we are running up against the clock, but you have a lot of callers, so let's quickly get in Kay from New Ulm before we have to break. Hello? Yeah, Kay, go ahead. Uh, five days ago, I had a colonoscopy, and I'm not sure the name of the other one where they went down my throat and looked into my stomach. And the very next morning, early after the procedures were done, I had a massive, massive bowel movement. I called my doctor and talked with his nurse, and, he, and she said I was perfectly clear when they did the colonoscopy. And they're in, I, they're in question. I have to go back and see him now as to where all this stool came from. Yeah, it was probably up in your small intestines because when they do a colonoscopy, they only look at the lower five feet of your intestines. You have 20 feet of intestines that are higher up than that that they didn't get into. 
Um, you had two scopes. The one from above, an upper endoscopy, is called an esophagogastroduodenoscopy. How's that for a mouthful? EGD. Um, and then you had the colonoscopy from below. So they looked at the first three feet of your intestinal tract and the last five feet, but they did not look at the 20 feet in the middle. And probably you had food products and the like in there that just simply were working their way through. I don't think I'd worry about it as long as your stools go back to normal and you're just kind of in your normal patterns, you're okay. But certainly call the place that did the endoscopies if you have any further questions about it. I think you're going to be okay. Um, unless, caveat, unless there's blood in your stool. If there's blood, you then you call right away. Yeah, blood, really a good thing there. Um, okay, we the time is just ticking. We have to take a break. We have one more segment with Dr. David Heldon. Callers are waiting. Tons of texts. We're going to get to as many as we can. Get your final thoughts in. 651-989-9226. We'll be right back. Rashini Rajkumar back with you along with Dr. David Hilden, host of Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare. We've got calls. We've got texts. We're going to try to get through them in the next few minutes. Bob is on the line from Maple Grove. Hi there, Bob. Hi. Hey, uh, doctor, I have a question about uh, food that you get from the restaurants. Many of them are providing takeout food. Uh, how yeah. safe is this? Uh, since the COVID is supposedly uh, airborne, is food from on these conditions safe? I I think it's quite safe. In fact, I go to takeout restaurants frequently, maybe more than before the pandemic, partially because I love small business people. I love people who run restaurants. And so I go to a new one every few days and I, I get their food and I tip them huge <laughs> because I just think that we all have to do our part if we're able to support small business owners. But beyond the, that part, it is safe. It is not foodborne. It is wash your hands a lot. Everybody should be washing your hands a lot. And um, But I wouldn't worry about COVID being on the food. I think that is exceptionally low risk. So I encourage people, get takeout. Just wash your hands a lot. That's that, a really I think good that's tip. a good mm-hmm. Yep. Let's get to Catherine from Blaine. Hi, Catherine. Good morning. My, good morning. Uh, good morning. I have a question. Uh, I, was, uh, I was diagnosed as having COVID, uh, what is it, a week ago? Was a week ago yesterday, and I did not. Um, I didn't have the real severe symptoms. I only had a very low grade temperature. Um, I didn't have the coughing or the breathing problems. Uh, so now I understand that I am a quarantine. Um, I'm just. I'm just curious uh, what his. Uh, I'm just curious to hear and see if there's uh, if he has any. Any opinions, basically, of what my symptoms were and how this is going to transpire down the road? Sure. Absolutely. You have COVID. You have a mild version of it. It's a respiratory illness, and your symptoms are entirely consistent with a mild case. It doesn't mean that you won't get sicker. The danger time is day 7 to 14 with COVID, so take it easy. Drink lots of fluids, stay home, and without a doubt, stay far away from people. I do need to say we are in the worst week of COVID of the whole year. Our hospitals are filling up across the state. It's a real deal. 
but that doesn't mean that you at home are going to be in the hospital. Um, uh, uh, definitely, we are on a, the worst trajectory I've seen since March. So you can do your part just by staying home, staying away from people. For heaven's sakes, don't go out. Um, don't go to a, any kind of congregate setting if you had COVID. Um, uh, this is a, a, a rough a rough patch we're coming into here. I think it's going to be a rough month or two, but you can get better. Um, you're not out of the danger zone, but definitely self-isolate. Okay, we've got about three minutes total. I'm going to do a fire round on these texts because there are so many and there are a lot of good questions. Why is Tylenol hard on a person's liver? Your your liver has to is the detox factory of your whole body. Everything you put in your mouth either gets detoxified by your liver or your kidneys and ends up in your urine or your stool. Tylenol is handled by your liver. Too much Tylenol is very dangerous to your liver. So if you're taking eight extra strength Tylenols in a day, you're pushing it. Um, uh, so that's why. Um, Tylenol okay. is hard on the liver. This person says, it is my understanding tonsils are the first defense against respiratory viruses. Have there been any studies regarding contracting COVID-19 comparing patients who still have their tonsils versus those who have had them removed? Great question, and I don't know of any. Um, it's a good question. Your tonsils are part of your lymph system. They are indeed part of your, your body's immune system. It's a small part, but it is a part, but I'm not aware of any studies in that regard. Uh, but it's a good question. This person says, my wife got, and I don't know the pronunciation, is it Guillain-Barre from swine flu shot back in this, a shot in the 70s. She's wondering if she can get a flu shot now. Also, can she get a COVID vaccine when available? Yeah, Guillain-Barre. It's a French term, GBS, Guillain-Barre. It is a neuropathy, a nerve problem that is rare, 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 but not so rare that we shouldn't be aware of it. I would just simply tell your whoever's giving you a shot that you had Guillain-Barre syndrome, and they will talk to you about the next best steps. I can't say if the COVID, we don't have a vaccine. We're not going to have a vaccine for a while on COVID. So um, I can't tell you about that one. But when you get your flu shot, make sure you tell them you have Guillain-Barre syndrome. And it might be, you might be one of the very few people that doesn't want to get a flu shot um, if it was a true blue Guillain-Barre syndrome. Okay, now we're going to talk about real quickly as we wind down masks and different locations. This person says, should I avoid driving in a car with one other person outside my immediate family, even if we wear masks? Others have asked about wearing masks in the home, you know, so just if you could cover that whole cars and houses and masks. With, um, if you're if that person is outside your home, if you can avoid being on the car with them, that's best. If you can't, definitely wear a mask and roll down the windows. Um, uh there is no, if you are hearing, anybody hearing any controversy about the masks, I encourage you to disabuse yourself of that. They work. They work. They work. And frankly, we are counting on the community to wear masks. In South Dakota and North Dakota, 50, 60% of the people are wearing masks, and they are at COVID levels that are embarrassing for our country, um, to be honest. We're doing better in Minnesota, but not great. So the masks work, social distancing works. If you are not living with the other human beings, don't share their air. Put your mask on. That's that's my, my best advice. When in doubt, put it on. Okay. And here's our last text question of the day. When is a COVID patient no longer infectious? We tell people if you have um, COVID, um, wait 10 days um, because your body is very, very likely your body has cleared it by them. The 14-day isolation is if we just don't know it when you have it. That's why we say 14 days. But if you had a COVID-positive patient, 
10 days after your positive test, you are probably no longer contagious. So that's the date we're going with, although things change. But right now, 10 days after your symptoms resolve, you're probably okay if you had COVID. All right, Dr. Hilden, we've got about 45 seconds left of the show, but I want to take a moment to remind people, you know, every other Sunday we do open lines, you have very special guests. We've got some fabulous guests coming up, but we are doing a special Hot Topics open lines on the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend, that last Sunday in November. So how do you want them getting questions to you? And then the top three ranked topics will be the three main topics we cover on that Hot Topics open lines. I encourage people to go to my blog site. Now, I I sometimes put posts more frequently than others, but there are years' worth of good medical information at myhealthymatters.org. My right. so, so that's where they should put, send in their question, yes, their you topic. Can leave and your the... comments and your questions and your topics there. We will take the, the top ones, and we're going to do a hot topic show. It's our new format that we're going to do every now and then, myhealthymatters.org. All right. Rashini Rajkumar, Dr. David Hilden signing out. Make it, make it a healthy week.